Good morning. How are you doing? You doing well? Who's doing well? I'm going to see to that today. Just give me 10 minutes. Uh, one of my favourite shows. Dave! Davo! Davey! Davey, no big wings! Can you hear us, mate? Davey! Davey! Can you hear us, big fella? Dave! Dave! Oh, why did you have to bury him, eh? It was just a practical joke, wasn't it? You've gone too far this time, Chris. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. Dave? Dave, is that you, mate? Right, where are you, mate? Just keep shouting. I think he's over here. Here, lads, I think I found him. Don't worry, mate, we will get you out. What is it with you and burying people, eh, Pete? Huh? First Keith, then Malcolm, then Steve, now Davey. We are never going to find him, you idiot. Dave! Oh. Dave! Oh, listen, I'm just going to put it out there. If we don't find him, I'm having his car, all right? Well, yeah, he sort of said I could have the car. He did say Well, that. you're the one who buried him, so that'd be unfair. Yeah, but, you know, in all fairness, I did bury him so I could get a car, so... So it defeats a purpose, doesn't it? All right. We're, uh, we're talking about death today. Uh, Woody Allen most uh, quite famously said, I don't mind dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Um, look, we, we talk about death all the time, but we don't. Uh, death and taxes, we say, are the only things that are inevitable. I'm going to kill you. I literally died of embarrassment. He died on stage. Nobody laughed. It's killing me. I'm going to take you out. So we actually talk about death quite a lot, but we don't actually face up to it very much. I remember years ago, I, uh, I went and heard a, uh, a philosopher whose name is uh, Peter Vardy. Uh, he's from uh, Heathrop College in the University of London. And um, one of the things that he said uh, when I was listening to him was he talked about how he actually has his coffin in his office with him. Like all the time. It's just his coffin is right there. So I wanted to read you a section from Peter Vardy explaining why he has his coffin in his office. Uh, I have my coffin in my college office. It was made for me by my son, Luke, when he was 16 as part of his woodwork project, obviously. Uh, I wonder how many hours I spent teaching how many students with my coffin as witness to it all. A coffin seemed to me to be the most appropriate coffee table for a philosopher. Although one could be forgiven for thinking that philosophy is a branch of linguistics, Plato said, listen to this, that philosophy is actually practice for death. There's actually there's something in that, I think. Philosophy is a love of wisdom, not cleverness. It requires engagement with the ultimate questions of human existence, and death is surely the most important. In modern Western culture, we've largely insulated ourselves from the reality of death. Old people are often packed off to grand, sorry, packed off to homes. Many young people have never seen a dead body in the tradition of, of grandparents growing old in the company of their grandchildren and grandchildren eventually learning from the process of their death is a thing of the past. People live longer and they are healthier. They make huge efforts to stay young and hold back the effects of advancing years. Illness and death are rarely mentioned and then only in hushed voices and never over dinner or in front of the children. Now let me give you some statistics about death. Is everyone, anyone excited at this point? It's going, this is what I come to church for, all right? Had a really hard week, and it's just like to pick me up. Anyway, I'm going to keep going. In 2012, the World Health Organization, uh, the estimate was that there's 7 billion people in the world. Uh, 56 million people died in 2012, which is about 1% roughly uh, of the world's population, they estimate. Uh, the World Health Organization estimates, estimated that in 2012 there was about 153,000 people dying every day. That's 6,400 people an hour, 107 a minute, which probably makes about 1,000 since I started. 1,000 people have died. Just under two people a second die. Now... It gets even a bit more sobering when you look at the causes of death. In high-income countries, 7 in 10 deaths is someone 70 or older and they die of non-communicable disease, all right? something you can't catch, say so cancer or heart attack or something like that. In low-income countries, 4 in every 10 deaths are someone under 15 and they mostly die of infectious diseases. 
Uh, in 2012, 6.6 million children died without reaching their fifth birthday. That's a lot of kids. As, as a lot of prema uh, premature birth was a, a really significant kind of factor in that. Death in Australia. Let's go Australia. Is everyone... Are you okay? Not really. But I'm going to keep going, all right? In Australia, in 2011, uh, 6.7 men died per thousand people in Australia and 4.7 women died per thousand. Um, basically, about 1.14% of Australia dies every year, okay? Um, so I just thought, okay, church of 200 people, probably two of us are not going to be here next year, statistically. All right? That's kind of half tongue-in-cheek, so it's, it's, I love you. I want you to hang around, okay? And I haven't done my first funeral yet, and I'd love it not to be yours. And I say that to all of you. If I never actually had to do a funeral, I, I think that would be a really wonderful way to lead a church. But if it happens, we'll, uh, we'll do it because there's something ma majestic in a really solemn way, I think, about someone who loves Jesus who, who dies. Um, but don't want to go into that uh, massively. Now, what we're doing today is we're doing what the writer of Ecclesiastes, um, he focuses on death, right? Now, um, the term Ecclesiastes is from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, all right? Just getting just technical just for a little bit. So you've got a couple, uh, the Septuagint and the Vulgate, all right? So the name Ecclesiastes is from that. Um, the Greek name is a translation of the Hebrew name, which is actually Kohelet, all right? Which is kind of a nickname, all right? It's kind of the nickname that the writer of Ecclesiastes actually gives to, um, um, to the person who's writing uh, Ecclesiastes, to the wise person in there, the, the, the philosopher, in a sense, in Ecclesiastes. So uh, he deals with it very seriously. And I, there was a couple of things that are kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, leading into this but death is a real issue isn't it and and there's a lot of you that have been really affected by death you've had loved ones die and it it's it is i think it's been called the the great existential problem is death and it comes to everyone and uh, it probably it's good for us in the west to just like let's pull up and talk about something that we don't talk about very much and just get our heads around it uh, now just a bit of warning okay the writer of Ecclesiastes is not particularly fruity and happy about death, okay? In fact, the passage we're going to go to today, uh, the commentators kind of say it's probably the most depressing passage in the whole of Ecclesiastes, which probably, Matt said earlier, he goes, that's probably the whole Bible then, isn't it? Because Ecclesiastes is probably the most depressing book. And you just go, yeah, pretty much, right? So what we're doing today is like, excellent, you know, it's just a hope-filled message today, right? Now we'll get there, but first I just want to almost drown you in what uh, Kohelet is actually going to suggest to you is actually true about death. Let's have a look at some of the things he says, right? We all know this one. It's a pretty straightforward. There's a, for everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die. You guys, if you've been around long enough, you've heard that one. People quote that around the place. Uh, you've got this one in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1 to 3. This is pretty intense, right? Uh, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death better than the day of birth. And you're like, oh, did you get that? Because you sit in church and someone to read that, you go, hey, man, brother. Are you, what did he just say? It's better to die than be born. Anyway, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. What's he saying? He said, it's actually better to be in a place where people are crying and there's death because you actually deal with this real stuff of life. You don't get stuck in all these superficial uh, f uh, frivolous things all right now it's not nice to be crying right but there, there is some truth in that isn't it so you go to a funeral and you're just going okay so now we've actually got to deal with what life is about and we can't just kind of paper mache over it with all this other stuff that we've got going on and then in ecclesiastes 8 where Sadie just kind of says look death's pretty well unstoppable but here's where we're going today we're going to go to the uh the pivotal passage I think in the whole of Ecclesiastes on death which is in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 so if you want to read in your own Bible you can do that we're going to read the first six verses or you can read on our fancy screen here as um God's providence would have it or the effects of the devil or some kind of combination thereof uh this brand new projector literally at 8 30 a.m died like literally at 8 30 I'm just going okay so if you're someone who believes in coincidences, that's a, really, that's a real coincidence. But 
I suspect there's a, some, a little something else involved in that one. But anyway, let's, let's keep going. Ecclesiastes 9, 1 to 6. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. What's he saying? It's just a mixed bag. Life's a bit of a mixed bag. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Now, he's talking about death. He's just kind of going... Look, it's just weird, you know, like you can be really good and then it just comes, comes to you. And then you can be really evil and it doesn't seem to come to you and then it comes to them at a different time. It's, it's coming for everyone. You can't, kind of can't push that away. And what I want you to do is you, you just need to get inside Colette's kind of uh, thinking here. It's just like, it's just, there's a kind of, it's like it's just coming and there's nothing you can do about it. So let me help you with that. So think this little toddler, 18-month-old toddler that got murdered this week by a mum. What's that? You know the one I'm talking about? You know the picture of her coming back with the, the empty stroller after she killed her, her daughter? Yeah, you know, no one's going that 18-month-old had it coming to her. So what on earth is Hugh Hefner, the head of the Playboy empire, why is he 80 and not dead yet? Do you get, do you get what I'm saying? And this is, kind of, this is kind of what Coalette is kind of saying. He's just going, look, you can actually be really good and it just comes at you or you can be bad and it doesn't come at you and then it comes at you. It's like it's just coming at you and it's like he's almost kind of throwing his hands up and just going, I don't even know, what, you know, what's, what's the point of it? It's, it's kind of bad. This thing's just coming at everyone. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. Some of you live with people like that. And after, they, after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and, and their hate and the envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. All right, here's where we're going today. Three, three points. We're going to see today that death dominates everyone eventually, that even the living are dominated by death, and uh, number three, a break and enter into the closed system. We go back to uh, the first three verses of Ecclesiastes 9 there. You can see the writer's actually saying, look, good and bad actually seem arbitrary. And... Um, Love and hate are kind of God's response to what's going on um, in the world, you know. And, and there's a sense, isn't there, like when things get really hard and really difficult and really bad, what do you do? You go, why do I deserve this? But I wonder how many of you actually ask that question when everything's going well. Like when everything in your life is going well, is, do you ever ask, why do I deserve this? Because this is kind of, you know, at some level, this is what Kohalet is kind of saying. He's just kind of going... Look, it, it just seems a bit random. It's a real, life's a real mixed bag and, and it's, it's a bit hard to know why God's, you know, why some people are favoured and why other people actually aren't. It's, you know, the same, and, and then it kind of ends up with this note. It's like, well, the same thing comes to everyone, so why even bother at all? It doesn't seem to matter to God. Now, uh, there's a classic movie that was on a number of years ago called The Bucket List. Have you seen The Bucket List? I'm going to show you a section of, out of the bucket list. Look, it's about two um, older guys who, um, one of them is quite a rich guy, who have both, both been told they've got a terminal disease and they're, um, they're going to die. And uh, they, they talk about this, this thing called the bucket list. Let me see that. And uh, Thomas, call Marie at Christie's, tell her I won't be bidding this season. I understand. Uh, sir, I don't mean to sound indelicate, but how do you want me to handle your... Death. It's 
treat it as if it were your own. So, leave all the money to my assistant. <laughs> Go get me one of those almond croissants that I like. And don't buy any green bananas. What are you doing? What is this? Come on, give it back. What is it? Give it back. It was on the floor. I didn't know it was a state secret. <clears throat> My freshman philosopher professor assigned this exercise in forward thinking. He called it a bucket list. We were supposed to make a list of all the things we wanted to do in our lives before we... Kick the bucket. Cutesy. Anyway, I wrote down things like make a million dollars, first black president, you know, young man's wishes. I was gonna redo the list, but then... Help a complete stranger for the good. Laugh until I cry. Not to be judgmental, but this is extremely weak. But it's pointless now. I would argue... The exact opposite. All right, that's it. What are you doing? We'll rewrite, that's all. You notice what's happening right at the end there of that clip is that uh, Morgan Freeman's going, because I'm going to die, then my bucket list is pointless. And the other guy goes, no, because you are going to die, it's actually meaningful. And there's this debate, in a sense, going on. They're not really having a debate, but there's dis a disagreement there about what makes what meaningful. And... The Colette would agree with Morgan Freeman. It's coming. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, and in a sense, when you look at the guy, um, the other guy, what does it even matter? Like if, if life under the sun is the only life that there is, what does it even matter? So write your bucket list and go and do it. Like does that, that doesn't mean anything either. You, you with me? It's just like, yeah, okay, so if, you, if it's just, if, you, if, if all you're living is a closed system and there's nothing from outside and it's just this world, it's going to turn into dust. Doesn't mean anything. You go, oh, at least I enjoyed the last bit of my life. You just go, so? <laughs> like the rest of eternity is, like if you're going into nothing and there's nothing else to it, you're just going into death and you don't know anything, you don't do anything, it actually doesn't really matter what you do. And, like, and often there's a whole bunch of pain associated with it. You know, it's like, okay, so I'm going to push on in pain. Uh, there's going to be ultimately no point because I'm just going to go into death and I'm not going to know anything. What's the point? Why bother even doing anything about it? There's ultimately no gain from having a bucket list. You go, well, at least someone out there will be able to say, I remember a guy and his name was Morgan Freeman and he did everything on his bucket list. Yeah, like for 10 minutes. And then they've forgotten about you. Okay, who cares? <laughs> well, I just go, like, if, if all there is, is we just go to the dust and we stay in a closed system, I, I really couldn't care whether you do everything that you want to do. Like, who cares if you go and jump out of a plane? That, that doesn't mean anything. It literally doesn't mean anything. And what you've got here, I hope you kind of noticed it when you were... Um, when we're reading this section here, is there's a real sense from Coalette that, um, that death is just really jarring and it just doesn't fit and it doesn't actually work within our system. Just does, experientially, it doesn't really fit. Now, what I want to do is just split off for a second and I want you just to think about evolution. What place does death have in the evolutionary process? Well, death is actually central within the evolutionary process. Okay, that's how the whole thing goes forward. So our culture's out there kind of smashing on all the time about the fact, you know, the atheists are about the fact God doesn't exist, everything got here by random chance and it's all going back to nothing. And we kind of go, thank you very much, that's really encouraging, that's going to help me to lead a meaningful life, all right? And then they stand up, some of them, and I'll get to this later on, and they go, well, there actually isn't any meaning in anything. It's go, oh, that, well, that's really great because now I'm hurting and you're telling me there's no point to it and there's no meaning and there's no purpose. You get what I'm saying? Is it... 
this cohelet actually sounds a lot like our culture. Now, here's the thing. How many people here have ever gone to a funeral where someone who, wasn't, who didn't believe in something outside the closed system, just believed in, uh, in the closed system, someone who didn't believe in God, didn't follow God, someone who believed in evolution, and they've gone to their funeral and they've just gone, oh, this is great. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because shouldn't you be doing that? At an evolutionary level, you go to a, a funeral and you just go, well, this is good. He had to go, all right? The only way for us to get to a high life form is he has to go. And we ought to at least have five minutes benediction for evolution at the end and just sing the praises of this death. This is great. Do you get what I'm saying? And my point is, when you go to a funeral, it doesn't feel like that, does it? It doesn't feel like the main engine and driver of the whole universe has finally happened for this person and we can move on. You go to a funeral, don't you? And you just go, this is terrible. This doesn't feel natural. This feels like the most unnatural thing in your whole week, maybe in your whole year. You just go, this is just an aberration. This is not kind of central and the heart of everything that's going on in the universe. It doesn't make sense. You see, in the biblical worldview, death is an intruder. It's not something that's part of the whole machine that has to happen. It's an intruder. And that's the kind of feel that you get here from Kahulet. And he's just going, this death thing is just an intruder and it doesn't fit. And I think, uh, personally, I'll just that would be one of my questions. Like, if, if any of you are talking to people who are... Who, uh, who don't follow Jesus, you just go, can you just tell me, like, if death is so much a part of the whole evolutionary system, why does it feel so weird when it happens to someone close to you? Uh, there's not a whole lot of good answers to that. We're going to keep going on. I'm going to read this again because this is, this is funny in a really kind of depressing way. Like, it's actually amusing funny in a depressing way, Right? Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. Listen to this proverb. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, the lion is what in the animal kingdom? King, right? So obviously if he's saying comparing one thing to the other, he's not talking about some fancy poodle that had a manicure. All right? At a dog show. All right? Dogs in that culture, it's like bottom, bottom rung. Right? They're probably some, it's probably some mangy thing getting around on the street eating a dead carcass somewhere. All right? So what's Kohelet saying? He's going, listen, it's marginally better to be alive. Like just. It was like a points decision. It's like could have gone either way, but marginally better. So you'd be better off being a, a living dog they're the deadline, but only just. Do you, get, do you get what he's saying there? Now, he actually goes and he tells you why it's only just marginally better to be uh, living rather than dead. Listen to this. For the living know that they were what? Okay, so if you're dead, what do you know? Nothing. And if you're alive, what do you know? You're going to die. <laughs> do you get his point? Like, it's actually a bit funny. You just go, whoa, okay. Like, that's pretty depressing. It's, he's kind of going, that's why you're just a mangy dog if you're alive, right? Because all you're thinking about is the fact that you're going to die. So here's uh, my second point here. Even the living are dominated by death. I'll, I'll finish reading that. But the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. I mean, I just think about it. How many Greek philosophers do you know? I don't know. Two, maybe Three. How many Greeks lived in that day? So you don't even know the answer to that. I don't even know the answer to it, right? But they weren't just the Greek philosophers. It wasn't just this random group of like three really smart Greek guys walking around and no one else lived, right? There was all this whole Greek culture. You haven't got a clue who they are, all right? In fact, you don't even know who lived in, to in Toowoomba probably 80 years ago, probably most of you. It's like, do you know what I mean? It's just like, you don't remember them. There's no memory of them. Is anyone getting depressed? Are you okay? Oh, so you're not saying anything. That worries me. Um, their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is under the sun. You see, according to Kohelet, you're just going to die anyway. 
It just postpones the inevitable. So you're probably better to be alive but only just because death is the end of all knowing and feeling within a closed system. So be alive because it's better because at least you can know something. See, consciousness is a thing that he's really focusing on here. So what do the living know? They know they're going to die. We covered that before. So let me just pull aside for a minute. And uh, do you think he's right? Let me ask you this question. Do you think he's right? Do you think that thinking about death is an issue for people who are alive? I, I think it's a massive issue. I think it's a massive issue. I think if you just pull up and you just kind of go, I wonder how much of my life is actually uh, influenced by fear of death. I mean, look at our culture. We've got the quest for eternal youth. I mean, when I was 35, I thought that's pretty much it. The best of my life is gone. Sorry to all those who are over 35. <laughs> that's what I thought. I just, it's done. That's, it's like, it's over. You know, and it's, like, it's all downhill from here. We're just heading toward death. Um, you know, it, it, there's such a strong, and I'm not saying these things are necessarily bad, but you can just kind of see maybe there could be a fear of death driver behind it, just a real love of life, as a real trust in health and medics. You know, I wonder how many people here have just gone, yeah, I've got a spot on my skin and that might be cancer and, you know, in, and I, you know, like the hypochondria thing where you're just kind of going, I'm probably going to, I might die in a couple of weeks, you know. And I'm not saying that to make light of it because that can actually happen, but I'm more just saying sometimes in your head it's like that fear of death can be a real kind of driver going on in there. Uh, there's a fear of sickness and death. We can obey diets and exercise regimes and maybe they're driven by that. We can long for a healthy life. Uh, the marketing machine just sells you stuff um, to give you a sense of your immortality and so you buy into that. If I get that, I'm going to have a vibrant, long life. Uh, we pursue things that extend our lives. We hope in medicine. We serve our fear of death. We sacrifice to avoid death so we don't eat some foods and we don't drink some things. Uh, why are we doing that? Are we doing that? because God's most important and that our body is his temple. We're doing it because like, we just don't want to die. We don't want to die young. Uh, and then, and I hope there's no one here like this, then you've got cannibals, right? And if you are, you need to stop eating people, okay? But one of the, that's how you can repent. That's a really specific way to repent today for those people out there. Uh, but cannibals, I mean, what was a cannibal thing? It's like somehow if I, uh, if I eat someone else, I get their life, you know? And I, and I wonder how much of our life is, is uh, we have that in our heads, we just think we can just get life from something else. Um, in uh, some really positive, bright, happy, uh, more youthful days, I had a period of time where I read some really heavy books on e evil and sin, all right? Uh, I don't know how, they just kind of, I found out about them, I think I was working at Kurong at the time, and they had to price them, there you go, and I thought, that looks interesting, you know, Optimus Sondergeld. Let's do that one on radical evil in soul and society. Let's read that. That looks like it's an interesting read. It was by a guy called Ted Peters. Had a whole chapter on the, uh, the fear of death and how it actually informs the way that people do life. Now, I don't agree with everything that, uh, that Peters uh, actually says, but I actually think he makes a lot of really good points and raises some good questions. Um, and I want to just read you a, a section out of that, and I'm going to come back to that, uh, that scripture there he says this in the event that we try to transcend those limits by wishing for infinite existence we respond to the threat of death with fear and frustration and perhaps even rage just hang in if we find we cannot accept our own death with grace we may embark on a path of self-delusion painting a picture of ourselves as immortal in this delusionary state beset by rising frustration and rage, we may seek to create our own immortality. Listen to this, this is where it starts getting good, by stealing life from others. Whether through such trivial habits as harbouring resentments and gossiping about our boss, or through such dramatic actions as military aggression wherein we capture the wealth and prestige of defeated nations, we try to steal the lifeblood of others in a misguided attempt to escape the anxiety caused by the prospect of our own non-being. Whether by ourselves as individuals or together as a communal group, we kill, figuratively or literally, in the vain hope that someone else's death will sustain our life. Anxiety, in short, is a sting of death affecting the living. Now, 
he makes a good point, I think. He raises a good question. What's he saying? He's saying, the way that you act, how much of that is actually driven by fear of death? How much is it driven by, like, if I can get some life out of you, that'll enhance my life? Interesting question. And we know from Hebrews 2 that fear of death is a significant issue. If you're around in the olden days at the project, which was about three years ago, three or four years ago, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver, note this, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Let me suggest to you that your slavery to death is probably more than what you think it is. So what do you do? If Coalette is right, what do you do? If we're in a closed system and death's just going to kind of truncate all kind of meaning and turn it all meaningless and death in itself just kind of makes everything meaningless, what do you do? Oh, you party. That's what you do. You eat, drink, you be merry. You pragmatism. I mean, that's what our culture is about. Whatever works. Doesn't matter what you do, just get the thing that works. That's kind of where our culture is at. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 6 says uh, their love and their hate um, have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. And you can see this in uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 to 10. This is what Kahilat says. He says, right, if you're in a closed system and death's coming for you, you know the best thing for you? Just smash it out, man. Eat, drink, be merry, drink your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Enjoy your wife. And then you get to this bit toward the end um, of that passage there. You see that one there? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Who's ever heard that one quoted before? Who, who now is sitting there going, I think they quoted it out of context? <laughs> all right? Because I've heard that so many times, especially in Christian schools. All right? As whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Coalette is saying, you're in a closed system. Death's coming for you. Just go and smash it out. And suck everything out of it that you can because it's coming for you. There's no hope. You're going to get dominated by death. It doesn't matter uh, what you do, you're in for it. So seek pleasure, eat, drink, enjoy your wife. There's no point. Now, this is depressing, right? This is, um, you know, living life in a closed system uh, very easily leads you to a philosophical uh, stream of thought called nihilism. Who's, who's heard of nihilism? Cool. Let me tell you what nihilism is. Nihilism says that, um, that there's no objective meaning, no purpose, no objective truth, and no objective value. It's only what you make it. Like, there's nothing that actually means anything. Can you live like that? Here's the thing, you can live like that until it starts to hurt, can't you? Because if, if, if there's no meaning, purpose, value in anything that you're doing, and this is Friedrich Nietzsche, was one of the, the gurus, one of the thinkers in this direction, and it starts to hurt, and there's nothing outside this closed system, what's the most sensible thing to do? What is it? Kill yourself. Do you see that? And I don't, you know, I don't mean it to be too dark for the kids that are sitting in here, right? But that, 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 in that system, why go through pain? Well, there's, there's like no point in going through pain. I once read this, uh, <laughs> apparently someone saw some graffiti one time that said, uh, God is dead, signed Nietzsche. And then underneath it, Nietzsche is dead, signed God. <laughs> Just thought that's cool. That's what uh, Albert Einstein said. He said, the man who regards his own life and that of his fellow creatures as meaningless is not merely unfortunate, but almost disqualified for life. That's about right, isn't it? You know, and we can see here, this actually starts to make a lot of sense. In fact, I would suggest to you, and I wonder if there's anyone with me, that makes the best sense, doesn't it? Is anyone with me on that? Like, if you're in a closed system... And death's coming for you. Well, let's just get into it. (laughs) 
Let's get into the best of what this closed system has to offer. That, that just makes sense to me. All right, I'm going to show you another clip from a movie. Who, um, who here was born before 1989? Okay, that's, that's a good sign. So any, who, who remembers Dead Poets Society? Okay, you probably, if you've ever seen Dead Poets Society, there's a scene in it that, that has been pretty enduring and it's a scene where uh, Robin Williams who's uh, acting the role of a teacher in a prestigious school um, uses the term carpe diem which is uh, seize the day and um, I just want to show you uh, that clip make a couple of comments now Mr Pitts Rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts. Where are you? Mr. Pitts, will you open your hymnal to page 542? Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. To the virgins to make much of time? Yes. That's the one. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That sees the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? <clears throat> Why? But why? I mean, that's, that's the answer, right? But why? Who cares? If there's nothing but a closed system, who cares? Don't. Why seize the day? Oh, to make something of your life. Yeah, okay. So no one will ever remember it. So? And you just end up dying, you end up turning into dust anyway. Why bother? See, death makes everything ultimately meaningless under the sun. You hear that? If there's only under the sun, if we're only living in a closed system, 
the time bomb to meaninglessness is ticking, even if there's meaning now. And death will come and make it absolutely meaningless. There's a, um, a, a pretty famous Russian writer called uh, Dostoevsky, and he wrote this, uh, which is an appeal to the fact that we need something outside of a closed system um, to do well. God took seeds from different worlds and sowed them on this earth and his garden grew up and everything came up that could come up. But what grows lives and is alive only through the feelings of its contact with other mysterious worlds. If that feeling grows weak or is destroyed in you, the heavenly growth will die away in you. Then you will be indifferent to life and even grow to hate it. That's what I think. It's a pretty perceptive comment, I think. I mean, you, you only have to go back to Ecclesiastes 2.17. Um, and Kohelet himself said, because of the meaninglessness of life, he hated it. And that's kind of what Dostoevsky is actually saying there. It's just like, if you live life within a closed system, you're actually going to get to the point where you hate it. Anyone like some good news? Because you're here, right? And you're at the project. You're going, aren't we about restoring true humanity and not making people depressed? Yes, we are. All right. Aren't we about the gospel? Yes, we're about the gospel. Isn't the gospel good news? Peter, help us. Help us. Don't hear any good news. Well, here's the thing. The good news is this. There's been a break and enter into the closed system. All right? And uh, Kahalet actually tips us off to this in the back end of his book, in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know, what he said there is just going, it's not just a closed system. The world that you live in is not just a closed system. It's actually, there's something outside that system. And, and the person that's outside that system sees everything and knows everything is going to bring some kind of judgment. Now, this is where it gets really good, right? We're going to go back to this uh, scripture from Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. It says, uh, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, so Jesus himself took, likewise partook of the same things. What's that saying? There was some kind of deep magic there that like humans sinned against God. The only way for them to be saved is for someone to become human who didn't sin and actually offer themselves as a sacrifice, all right? Jesus partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. All right. This is the image I have, right? And you might find this really unhelpful. And if you do, you can just, I'll pray for you later. All right. Here's my image. Right? Jesus is in heaven. He's pulling a balaclava on, right? He's going to do a break and enter into earth. All right. There's this closed system going on. It's like he is going to break and enter into it. He's going to take out death and then free some people who are captives. Do you get that? Is anyone into that? Yeah, that, that's good, right? And it's like, what is he doing? He's actually coming in and he's using his own death to kill death and then freeing people from slavery. Something outside the system is actually going to come into the system. It's not just a closed system. Something from outside comes in, breaks into it and changes everything so much so that you can get to the uh, the last book in the bible revelation 14 13 listen to this and i heard a voice from heaven saying write this blessed are the dead who die in the lord from now on blessed indeed says the spirit listen to this that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them do you hear that writer of revelation john has actually said look it's not like because of jesus it's not like coalette anymore it's not what he's saying. Jesus has come in. He's changed everything. And now there's actually continuity between what you do now and what you do then. You with me? So it's like everything that you do now actually matters. You see, you go to the back end of the New Testament. Does anyone know what, um, what, what phrase is used to, des to describe Christians that die in the New Testament? Sorry? Yeah, yeah, the saints. Well, when it actually talks about them dying, it actually doesn't say that Christians die very much at all, if, if at all, in the back end of the New Testament. Yeah, they're falling asleep. All right? Do you hear that? It's like there's continuity actually going on. It's falling asleep and they're actually going to be awoken again. You see, the death of Jesus ensures this continuity between life and death and it actually does the exact opposite of what Coalette asserts. 
It provides the opportunity for death to be different. Now, we're just going to finish. I'm going to finish in about five minutes, right? I want you to think at this point in time, how do you actually view death? Because what Jesus did on the cross changes death massively. How do I know that? I know that from Philippians chapter 1. Here's what Paul says. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's in jail. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body. Listen, listen to him. Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or what? Or death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? That's different. <laughs> Isn't it? Like at that point, you just, well, that's weird. All right? If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Do you hear what he's saying? He's just going, Jesus has come. He's paid the price for me and he's offering me himself. I just want to be with him. How good is that? It doesn't get any better than that. That's who I want to be with. He goes, but you guys need me. And oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> like some of you out there just go, I think there's a lot of people who need me. And maybe they do, right? But it's ultimately not your call as to whether you get to stay or go. But you know what? Paul's going, you know, it's slime ball. I, I actually, but I'm sorry guys. Don't be offended. I'd rather be with him. Do, do you get what's going on? And, and like some of you got people depending on you. You just need to go, look, hey, look, I'm sorry. And I really do love you. But oh, I love Jesus so much. And he is so good. I just want to go and be with him. That's going to be so, so great. And so let me ask you this question. And I think we know how Paul would answer this. But how do you answer it? Is the possibility of your death, well, possibility, is the certainty of your death, aside from Christ coming back in the future sometime, does it take you away from what you love or towards what you love? You see Paul here? Death takes me toward what I love. Is death something that takes you away from what you love or something towards what you love? Is what you love only under the sun or is outside of the sun? You see, if death takes you away from what you love most, then death will meet out ultimate meaninglessness on your life. That's what it'll do. Because it's going to take all of that away. I don't care whether you've got cars, houses... Mobile phones, push bikes, I don't care what you've got. It takes all of that away. And if that's what you love the most, meaninglessness will reign in your death. See, who cares if you've done everything on your bucket list? How is that going to bring meaning? You see, even if you're remembered for someone who did everything on their bucket list, how does that bring meaning? See, it's only what's outside the sun that actually gives meaning to everything under the sun. I'm just going to be a little bit bold here. Jesus' death on the cross actually gives your death some incentive. (laughs) Isn't that just a strange way to think about it? Like when you look at this up here in Philippians 1, what's Paul saying? There's incentive in me dying and it's really strong. And it's not the suicidal kind of dying of someone who's really struggling. This is like going toward the thing that I love and the joy that I have. Like there's almost an incentive in that. So I want to finish uh, with two things. Uh, A question and then I'm going to read you a poem because I look like a guy who reads poetry to people. Someone called me a metrosexual this week and I almost didn't recover. Sorry, I almost didn't make it to church today. All right. If you don't know what that is, I can, I can tell you later on. Don't, don't freak out about it. It's not bad. Well, it is bad if, it, if I'm one of them, but let's not get into that. John Piper asks this question. He says, A critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth, 
and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, wait for it, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? I'm going to read you a uh, poem from C.T. Uh, Studd. C.T. Studd was uh, English, came from a, a very wealthy family. He actually was, uh, represented England in, uh, in the cricket and uh, in the late 1880s actually played uh, in the cricket game that started the ashes between Australia and England. Here's his uh, poem. Two little lines I heard one day Travelling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its clothes I must fulfil, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would no victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. Enjoy or sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervour burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee.